fear not in the Bible. And fear not, fear not, do not be afraid. When you look at it in the Old Testament, God tells Abram in, in Genesis 15, 1, do not be afraid, I'm your shield, your great reward. He tells Isaac in, in Genesis 26, 24, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Uh, he tells Jacob the same thing in, in Genesis 46, 3, do not be afraid, I'm with you. In Exodus 14, when Moses is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they come to the Red Sea, and they've got the Red Sea here, and they've got hundreds of thousands of soldiers with nothing but one thing on their mind, and that is to kill them, then he gives them this message, hey, don't be afraid, stand firm, and you'll see the salvation of the Lord. Moses, right, at, right before he dies, God says, here's the word I want you to give to these three million plus Israelites, and here was the word, Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Say that underlined part. Moses, you're about to die. And here's what I want you to tell them. Do not be afraid. Don't panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. That is verse 6 of Deuteronomy 31. Two verses later, he pretty much repeats himself. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord will go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Well, he tells that to Moses. After Moses dies and Joshua is put in the position to watch out, watch over these three million plus, he kind of says, Joshua, I need to tell you something because there are going to be a lot of opportunities for fear to grab hold of you. Fear that you won't live up to Moses. Fear that you won't, you won't be as good as your predecessor. Fear that you won't measure up. I need, fear that you won't conquer. I need to tell you something. And in Joshua 1, 6 and 7 and verse 9, he says this. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people. God is telling him to be strong. You're the one that's going to lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors. He says, be strong and very courageous. Then get this. This is my command. Again, be strong and courageous. And what? Or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. This command gets repeated and repeated. Not just in the Old Testament. You look at the New Testament in, in Luke 1. When, when an angel comes to this 14-year-old girl named Mary. And the first thing the angel says to her is what? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then the angel goes over to Joseph because he knows, man, Joseph's going to have a lot of fear. How am I going to explain this to everybody? How am I going to tell people, hey, my fiance's pregnant, but we didn't have sex. How, how am I going to explain all this? And the angel shows up and says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In Matthew 14, 27, uh, when Jesus, his disciples are on this boat freaking out because a storm is upon them. Here comes Jesus walking on the water. And what does Jesus tell them? Do not be afraid. Do not be, which he would have to tell me that too. Come on now. I'm out on the, la I'm out on Watts Bar Lake. It's storming. I suddenly, I see a figure walking on the water. If I ain't got a motor... I'm paddling. I would need, do not be afraid. Oh, thank you, Jesus. He, he, you know, he says that. And to a group of women that showed up looking for his resurrected body, he told them, do not be afraid. 
in the last message, when he's sitting down with his disciples, which would be the last conversation he has with them before he's arrested, beaten, ultimately crucified, he tells them this in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and what? Say it. I love the way the Passion says it. It says this, I leave the gift of peace with you, my peace. Not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Don't yield to fear. I love that. Don't yield to fear. Do not be afraid. Why, why, would, why did Jesus, in his last word, last conversation with his disciples, make, don't be afraid? Because Jesus knew. They were, they were about to be presented with many opportunities to allow fear to govern their lives and tell them what to do or say. But why so many times? Think about it. If you were to name off the top ten sins, your top ten sins, fear wouldn't even make it in the top ten. Fear didn't even make it in God's top ten. I mean, think about it. Don't, don't have any gods before me. Uh, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear a false witness. Don't covet your neighbor's wives. Don't covet your neighbor's goods. Nothing in that top ten list of gods about fear, right? Right? So then why does God say don't be afraid more than 120 times throughout the entire Bible? Here's why I think. I think because God knows, God knew that every person in this room would or will struggle with fear. You're going to be presented with an opportunity to, to, to either let fear govern your life or let faith. He also knew this, that fear has the very real potential to take over your life and rule you. It has the very uh, real potential to do that. So I want to give you three truths about fear. And I'm going to try to get you in and get you out uh, kind of selfishly because I've got a long day. And I lost an hour's sleep. Come on now. <laughs> and I'm going to be here with these heathens practicing centuries for right now. No, but it's going to be a good day. The first truth about fear, fear can be healthy response to danger but fear can also paralyze you and keep you from fully living. Uh, I think it was F FDR in 1933 said this, and, and I'll, I'll say the first of it, you, you say the end of it. We have nothing to fear but fear That's a great saying. That's a great tattoo. That's a great bumper sticker, but it's simply not true. There are some things we should fear. We, the, uh, healthy fear, what it does, gives you good boundaries. For instance, I want my granddaughter, Juno, to have a healthy fear of a hot stove. Not because I hate her, because I love her. I want her to have a healthy fear not to play in the middle of the road. Come on now. I want, there are healthy fears, but then there's also that fear that paralyzes you and keeps you living. And that is the fear that God tells us we need to do battle against. It's a distorted fear. 
It's a fear that acts as a magnifying glass, making something that's not necessarily that big really big. Come on. It's a fear that, that, that takes a possible threat. It might happen and then blows it up. That's the fear. It's irrational. It's not logical. Um, a lot of you have heard this story, and if you didn't know my mom, this, if you knew her, this is even funnier. Um, and she's told this story on herself, but she's a young mom, 17 years old. Chris, my oldest brother Chris, is about three years old. And dad's uh, not home that night. It's working. It's storming out. It's, and all of a sudden, the lights and the power go out in the house. And she's there by herself. Well, mom, in her mind, someone has cut the power. And they are there to get her and her baby boy. So what does mom do? The true story. She goes in the kitchen with baby in one hand, finds the biggest butcher knife she can get. Oh, that's not all. She then takes off out of the house looking. And she goes across, when I say across the street, I mean, she had to walk and then go over, over to the street to one of our neighbor's house. So she's ringing the doorbell, knocking. He opens the door to this 17-year-old mama with a baby in one hand and a butcher knife in the other hand. And mom will tell you, fear had gripped her to the point that when she walked out, she passed many other houses, but fear had gripped her so much, she didn't notice nobody's power was on. And that's what fear will do to you. It's not, it'll make you think irrationally. Come on, that's not rational. Who, who, who does that? Fear. I remember one time, uh, me and my uh, brother Chris, we were going to a football game at uh, Ray County High School. Not the new one, the nice one, but the one that should be tore down now. Uh, and we were going, and, and it was, they had two games back to back. And so we didn't know that, so we didn't tell them. So let's sit. They were expecting us, me and Chris, to be back at a certain time. Well, we were about two hours late getting back. During those two hours, my mom in her mind had us cut up into tiny pieces and thrown in a garbage can. Well, she had my dad worked up. Dad wasn't really worried, but by the time me and Chris walked to the door, he just wanted to whip somebody. Get over here. I'm, your mama's got me worked up. Fear. Fear can do that to you guys. And that's the kind of fear that God says, man, do not be afraid. It, it's fear that takes over your mind. It causes you to, to uh, not be able to see properly what's really happening. So fear can be healthy or can paralyze you. The second thing about fear, fear wants to own you. It wants to, it wants to own you, tell you what to do, where to go, what to say. I had another thing I would have said, but it would not have been proper in church. Do you know what I believe the number one fear or reason is? Is that people don't live up to their full God-given potential. Fear. Fear. Fear of rejection. Fear of not being good enough. Uh, a fear of the unknown. Don't know what's out there. Fear of being alone. Fear of what it may cost. Come on. Uh, a fear of what I might lose. 
a job, my security, a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, your money. But you know what? I, I believe the biggest fear that keeps us from really living and stepping into our God-given potential, fear of others, what they, might, what they think about us. I can get up here and tell you, I don't care what so-and-so thinks about me. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. But if we're being honest, that just ain't true. Because when we leave, when I leave here, I can tell you that. I can leave that conversation and go home. And I'm wondering, why would they say that about me? Is there something in me? Is there something? And we fear what others might think about us. Fear what our coworkers may think. What our boss may think. What our employees may think. Our friends at school may think. Our family. But look what Proverbs 29, 25 says. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Now, I, I've simplified this. I want you to just read what's underlined. Read, read it out loud with me. Ready? Fear of man will... Fear of man. Fear of man will be a snare. In other words, it'll trap you and keep you from being able to go any further. It'll hold you back. It'll hold you hostage. Fear what others think. It'll, 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 it won't let you go. I love the way Ed Welch uh, describes this kind of fear. He says this, the fear of man can be summarized this way. We, we replace God with people. Instead of a biblically guided fear of the Lord, we fear others. And he goes on to say this, that there are at least three reasons that we fear people. We fear people because they can expose and humiliate us. It's one of the reasons. We fear people because they can reject, ridicule, or despise us. And three, we fear people because they can attack, oppress, or threaten us. Do you know what those three reasons all have in common? We care about what people say over us and what God says about us. That's what they all three have in common. What they'll say, what they'll, no, this is what God says, and this is where I'm at. And I'm telling you guys, you may not know it, there is a high cost to living with fear. High cost, it, it is costly. One of the, is, is this, fear will challenge your identity as a child of God. It'll challenge your identity. Fear will eat away at your sense of worth. Of who God says you are. Because God says, you know, we're creating the image of God. And, and, and fear will, will take that away from us and, and let us miss out on the fact that we were created for a purpose, with a purpose, on purpose. And fear will rob us of that. Here's the truth. You're going to face challenges, church. You're going to face bad situations. And in those moments, you're going to have the, the opportunity to respond one of two ways. Fear or faith? Faith or fear? If you give in to your fears, if you give in to those fears, like you, you've got a situation you know that needs to be dealt with. You've got a conversation you know that needs to be had. If you give in to the fear and, and ignore it and don't, don't do anything about it, don't stand up, even if that situation turns out good, you know. You know you didn't do what you were supposed to do. You know you allowed fear to keep you from saying or doing what God told you to do. Come on now. And, and, but on the flip side of that, when you're in a situation and fear starts creeping in and you know you should do something and you still step in and do it despite the fear. 
Come on. Or, or there's a tough decision that nobody else is willing to make. But even though there's fear there, you said, no, 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 I'm going to make the decision. And you step out in faith. Or maybe there's a difficult conversation that you, that you know needs to be had and nobody wants to have it. But you decide, I'm going to initiate it because it needs to be done. When, when there's a sinful or addictive behavior in your life that you've kept hidden, but you decide, no, I've got to expose it to the light. What happens in those moments when you choose to respond in faith instead of fear, something happens, something inside of you begins to grow. You begin to grow stronger as, and you become more resilient. That song said the best, he makes me stronger. He makes me stronger. And, and here's the thing, even when you, do the right, when, when you do the right things, even if things don't go the way you thought they were, at least you can say, you know what? I did what I was supposed to do. I did. All I'm responsible for is my obedience. Are you hearing me? Fear will challenge your identity as a child of God. Fear will also stunt your growth and diminish your potential. A mindset of fear will keep you from growing. And it will paralyze your God-given potential. Here's a fact. You will never become who God created you to become if you allow your life to be dominated by fear. You won't. Because God's going to ask you to make some hard decisions. To, to step out. To say things that you normally wouldn't say. And here's the thing about growth. If you want to grow, growth always requ requires risk. And with risk, there's always some element of fear involved. Come on. I, I mean, Denise will tell you... Um, when we were in Hawaii a couple years ago, uh, me, I am a adrenaline junkie. I, I, I love doing stupid stuff. I do. Uh, you say it's stupid, I say it's fun. And we were in there, and I, I saw this thing. We can go swim with manta rays. And I'm like, absolutely. And she's like, absolutely not. <laughs> but I, want, I was like, no, let's do this. And she's like, man, you know, babe, if you want to do that, well, got to realize this swim occurs at about 10 or 11 at night out in the ocean i'm off i'm like oh yes i'm praying we see a shark i'm praying we see so i mean and denise is just praying she can get out of the boat but we're setting up there man and and we get out there we we we, we get out there where they're doing because what they'll do is they'll put these things up there that's got these lights and it attracts the plankton. And then you will see. And we, we get out there, we're in place. And they set it out there in the water. And then out of nowhere, you see this huge manta ray come up. And its mouth is huge. I mean, just uh, no teeth, but it's just sucking in the, the, that, that fish, that food. And, and then he looks at me and says, uh, I can't do this. And if I'm being honest, I'm getting mad at this point. I paid good money for this experience. <laughs> and I'm, so I'm like, well, whatever, babe. I jump in. I was not a good husband that night. I was in Hawaii. I'm going to swim with these big fish. I'll pay for it later. <laughs> and, and the guy on the boat, says, he tells her, he says, you're not going? No, no. He says, you're, you're going to regret this if you don't. And Anissa did not allow her fear to keep her from experiencing something. Now, she won't do it again. 
But she will tell you she's glad she did it that one time. And if you allow yourself, fear will keep you from experiencing great things in life. I mean, you cannot be ruled, and it'll keep you from growing. And the thing is, everybody, I, everybody wants to walk on water. Problem, nobody wants to get out of the boat. You know. And you can't, as John Ortberg says, if you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. You got to get out. You got to take a, a leap of faith. And you can say all you want about Peter uh, sinking when he took his eyes off Jesus. But the only other person that, other than Jesus that walked on water was Peter. Right. He walked on water. And, and so I'm telling you, you've got to, you want, you, you're going to have to take some risks. And if you, if you don't, fear will stunt your growth. And so another high cost of fear is this. Fear sucks the life and joy out of the here and now. Living in fear and constant anxiety will rob you of the here and now. It'll rob you of joy of life. Have you ever noticed that most of the things we worry about are future related? Things that may or may not ever happen. And we get all worked up and then our mind starts rehearsing this two-word phrase. Anybody know what it is? What if? What if this happens? What if I have a wreck? What if, what, what, what if, I, I, I know Denise was so scared. Zion, uh, when he, Zion was 15, he'd been riding motorcycles uh, ever since he could. And, and, you know, I took him at 15 to get his driver's license for his motorcycle. Didn't, my wife was scared to death. Well, he sold it when he moved uh, down to Alabama, but he came across a great deal. He didn't call his mom and ask her about it. He knew what mama would say. He called dad. And I worked him and got him a great deal on a little Harley. Um, but his mom, and I sent a picture to Zion. I said, this is a picture of your mom right now that just found out you got a motorcycle. And it was her. <laughs> but here's the thing. You cannot allow fear of what may happen to keep you from living life. What if? What if? What, what, I mean, I, there are people that won't get married because what if, what if we get a divorce? What if it doesn't happen? What, what if they cheat on me? What if this happened? And you will allow something to keep you from, from going further. What, people won't invite people to church. What if? What if? What if pastor tells one of his inappropriate jokes? What if? What if? <laughs> They'll thank you for inviting them, and then they'll go tell that joke too. No. <laughs> Get this fear and joy, they cannot coexist. You've never met a fearful, joyful person. Are you hearing me? You, you've never. So you, you cannot allow fear to dominate us and begin to play the what-if the, the what game. The, the, la the last high cost of fear is this. Fear will leave you with a life full of regrets. I almost got on this while ago. I guarantee Denise would have regretted not at least jumping out. Now, she only stayed in the water about five minutes because the first time that manta ray brushed up against her, she said, I'm done. You did about 10 minutes. You did. But she would have regretted not having the experience. 
I do stuff because I know there's a lot of stuff I do that I look back. I just don't want to regret, say, man, right there I was. I could have done it. And fear will get, keep a, living a life of regrets where we'll look back and say, man, God was trying to invite me in on a journey to do something, but I let fear keep me from taking the step. And we will allow fear to govern our lives. One, fear can be healthy, but can also paralyze you. Two, fear wants to own you. And the third truth about fear, fear is really the response to what you really believe about God. Fear is not the byproduct of a situation or circumstance. What it is is our response to what we really believe about him. You see, when you read the Bible, there are two mindsets. When people face different situations, it, it, there was a faith mindset and there was a fear mindset. The mindset of fear of, of faith says, I trust God. I trust his faithfulness. I trust his goodness. Man, this looks crazy, but I know he loves me and I know he's for me. It, 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 that's the, the faith side. The fear side says, man, I'm going to be I'm gonna be all on my own with this. What if something happens? What if my reputation goes down the line drain? What if this happened? And, and I'm telling you, it's not the circumstance or, or situation that you face that produces fear. It's what you really believe about God. Is he really good? Is he really there? I'll give you some exa uh, examples. Moses, do you remember uh, when Moses... Uh, they were going, getting ready. They were right there at the verge of entering into the promised land. The promised land says it all. It is the land promised to them by God. God said, this is your land. So what is Moses? He says, hey, I'm going to send scouts out into the land. Find out, hey, what, what kind of fruit, what kind of food is there? He sends out 12 scouts. Ten of those scouts come back. And he's like, man, it's true. That place is flowing milk and honey. There's grapes as big as coconuts there i mean it's massive but there's giants we look like grasshoppers compared to them fear mentality joshua and caleb come back and said there are giants there but god said it was ours and we could take the land he you, you know the difference between the 10 and the two i mean moses sent them out to survey the land only two surveyed the land the other 10 were surveying the giants and the trouble and the problems and the what ifs that was going on. I'm telling you, two different mindsets. What about David? David was asked to take lunch to his brothers. He shows up on the scene. He looks out there and there's this giant, this beast of a man that is hurling threats at, at the children of God and, and insulting God. And, and, and David's like, what's going on? The Bible says that the seasoned soldiers, that whenever he would come out, this giant, they would run back to their tents in fear. Not David. David ran toward the giant. He did not allow his fear to dictate what he knew was right. Uh, what, what about in Matthew 8 and Luke 8, Jesus' disciples, he's with his disciples in a boat this time, and a massive storm hits. And it's such a bad storm that these seasoned sailors are in fear for their lives. They're, they're losing their minds. Where's Jesus? Asleep. Asleep. 
two different mindsets. I mean, here's the thing about having a faith mindset. It's not saying that the storm isn't happening. It's just knowing where you rest in the storm and who's got you in the storm. I mean, all three of these stories, two, two different sets of people facing the same situation, but different outcomes. See, it's not the situation, it's not the circumstance, it's the mindset. If I had to describe it in one single word, it, was, it would be your perspective. The, the most important factor that will determine whether you're going to live in fear or live by faith is your perspective. Your perspective of what happens in your life. Your perspective can make all the difference in the world. Uh, do, you, do you know what I'm saying? Keller, what, what do you mean? Let me, let, let me explain it to you this way. There was this uh, young girl who was in her second year of college. And so she writes home to her mom and dad. She emails them and says this in the, in, in the email. Dear mom and dad, I have so much to tell you. Uh, the first, because of the fire that was set off by the student riots, I experienced temporary lung damage and had to be taken to the hospital. But while I was there, I fell in love with an orderly. We've moved in together. I had to drop out of school when I found out I was pregnant. He got fired because of his drinking. So we're going to move to Alaska to live with his mom and dad and may get married after the birth of our baby. Signed, your loving daughter. P.S. None of that really happened, but I flunked my chemistry class and just wanted to help you keep things in perspective. <laughs> in other words, it could be a lot worse. Let's keep it in perspective. Keep it in perspective. And that's what it does. It is the ability to sort out the really big problems by things that, come on, honestly, they're not that big of a deal. I, I, and that's what perspective does. Unhealthy fears are brought out of, of a distorted view, uh, way you see things. And fear isn't a byproduct of circumstance or situation. It's what we really believe about God. I'm going to close this out by giving you two truths. Two, 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 two truths that will take down fear in your life. Here's the first truth. God is with me. No doubt, God is with me. Just say that. God is with me. Come on, say it like you mean it. God almost, you, when I was reading the fear knots, did you realize what, what a coming to that fear knot? Why? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. When God promised to them and he said, fear not, I'm with you. What he was doing was reminding them, hey, fear not, I'm working on your behalf. Hey, fear not, I'm going to protect you when you need protection. Hey, fear not, I'm going to deliver you when you need deliverance. Fear not, I am with you. I mean, do you remember the story of Joseph? I mean, his brothers sell him into slavery. And then he goes and works for Potiphar in his house. He gets falsely accused of rape. He gets thrown in jail. Throughout that story, this phrase pops up at least five, five or six times. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. God is with me. The second truth, God is for me. Now say that. Come on. God. Come on, mean it. 
God is for me. Because I don't believe we honestly believe that a lot of times. I believe a lot of times we believe that God is up there in the universe, cannot wait for us to just blow it. So he said, yeah, I knew it. It's the opposite. God is up there. He's like one of these crazy fans you see at a ball game. I think he probably, he, I think when he's cheering me on, he, he's like, he's got, he may even have a shirt off with my name written across the chest. You got this. Go. I'm for you. You can do this. I'm for I want you to succeed. I want you to beat this addiction. I want this marriage to survive. I am for you. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? That's why you don't see me panicking about who gets voted into office this year. You don't see me panicking about the coronavirus or about this because I believe if God is for me, who can be against me? And God already knows the outcome. It's not going to catch him off guard. God is with me. God is for me. Faith or fear, guys, we've got to choose. What are you afraid of? I mean, what is it? I love this quote by Marianne Williamson. And you really need to hear this. She says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Check this out. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve this world. Oh, that's good. You ask yourself, you're like, who am I? Who am I? And God said, who are you not to be? You're my child. She goes on to say, there is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people will not feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. And then she ends with this. I love this. It is not just in some of us. It is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, get this, guys, we unconsciously give others permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Oh, some of y'all didn't get that. As we are liberated from our own fears, our presence automatically liberates others of their fear. I've seen this play out in worship services where someone who's not very vocal, they're afraid to raise their hand, you put them beside a crazy person that's all out for God, before you know it, they're like... Yeah. Why? Because their freedom reverberated over to somebody else. 
how you live your life in faith or fear does not just affect you. It reverberates. I tell you guys, there are some things, some of you, you have allowed fear to dominate your life. It has kept you from stepping out. It has kept you from speaking out. It has kept you from taking a risk. It has kept some of you from going back to school. It has kept some of you from getting married. It has kept some of you from, from trying to give your heart away again because you don't trust and you're afraid you'll get hurt again. It has kept some of you from getting planted in a church because of what you've heard about church or what you experienced in a church. And fear has kept you It'll happen to me again here. Why bother? Fears dominated some of you. Fear that you're not good enough. Fear that you're not the right color. Fear that you're not the, 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 in the right social setting. Fear that you don't measure up. Fear that you'll fail. Fear that the cancer will show back up. You live your life dominated by fear. Don't let fear own you guys. Don't allow it to suck the life out of you. I'm going to close with a passage of Scripture that we have said a lot, even through our marriage series. And I'm going to say it again today. It's Philippians 1.6, and I want to read it from the message. There has never been any doubt in my mind that God who started this great work in you will keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish. Kelly, I'm afraid. What if I don't? No, 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 no. Did you hear, Paul? There's not a doubt that what God started in you, He can bring to a flourishing finish. A guy by the name of Dr. Kevin Elko. He was speaking to the University of Alabama's football team in 2014. And he began to talk to them about the yet mentality. And how important it plays. If you want lasting change in your life, you have to get this yet mentality. What does it look like? He says, you have to begin to have this mentality that says, hey, the fight isn't over yet. I don't care what's happening in your life. You haven't fought your best fight yet. Uh, you haven't given your best blessing to others yet. You've not accomplished your greatest achievement yet. You haven't really started in this thing yet. You haven't really started serving yet. You haven't overcome your greatest challenge yet. You haven't slain your biggest giant yet. You haven't made your greatest contribution yet. You haven't written that book that you're supposed to write yet. Come on. Your marriage hasn't become fully what you know it could or should be yet. I'm telling you, you need to step out of that fear and into the faith. Because I'm not done yet. And God says he's not done yet. I can be a better husband. Come on. I, I, I mean, I'm pretty good. But I'm not done growing as a husband yet. You can be a better wife. Maybe you're pretty good at, a wife, at being a wife. But you're not done growing as a wife yet. You're a good mom or dad. But you're not grow, done growing as a mom or dad yet. You can be better. Come on. Come on. I say this. I can be a better pastor. I'm not that bad. 
but I want to be better. Come on, I, and I'm not done yet. I could be the man, or, or I could be the man or woman of God that He has called me to be. I'm not done yet in growing. I'm not done yet. God isn't finished with me yet, and I refuse to allow fear to keep me out of the game. Stand with me across this room. I refuse to allow fear.